So you've been scouring the web. Yeah, yeah, I've been sc- yeah, I've been scouring. Okay. <laughs> uh, I sent it to you before, but it's in the show notes. The Reddit link. Okay, let's... the very bottom. I believe I originally showed you this picture as part of a meme because I just yeah. thought this was really cool. Yeah. Like, whoa! Look what they found. Would you like to describe the the picture for us? So the picture looks like okay. Um, it is a it says a raptor and a it says a protoceratops. So is that a? Uh, it's wh- like a small di- it's a small dinosaur that's in the same family as triceratops. Okay, so a raptor and a protoceratops fight preserved in the sand. So it looks like the way this is laid out, which I thought this was kind of odd initially and then that follow-up that you sent me made more sense because the way this is hard to explain the photo is a, is a photo from top to down right so mm-hmm. it's a fossil of these this protoceratops looks like a small triceratops and this raptor so and they're roughly you know the raptor is a bit smaller thinner leaner but they're laying down like engaging each other like the raptor has his arms kind of on the head of the protoceratops like it was they're they're fighting so it implies that they were fighting and their fossils are here so it's like they got stuck in this position that's like they died fighting each other basically mm-hmm. so it looks epic it looks cool and they look fully preserved um yeah yeah i mean they're stuck in they're you can like you can the way it looks is like they're half excavated out of the sand at the moment at yes. like this perfect angle where you can see exactly what's going on, but the bones are still stuck in the dirt right. or stone. Right. And what's odd is that the way it looks, you know, when you think about impracticality, because it's from a top-down shot, it really would mean, or is it a top-down or is it a, a cut? Did they cut that? Did they, did they cut that like a side profile? I think it's top-down. Okay. Because that's the thing, because it looks like a side profile. You know, when you think about it, you would think about a raptor fighting this thing on standing up. Yeah, yeah. And that's the way it's positioned. So it's almost, it looks like you would took, it, they took a photo of it and they just got preserved right there. You get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that's so, it's so perfectly preserved that I was like, that's kind of odd, but interesting. And then we see down below, there's a, the first response is, that's not the original fossil. It's a replica with incorrect features. Here's the actual fossil. <laughs> And the actual one, <laughs> not even close to the same. <laughs> so it's completely, uh, the raptor looks like it's it's had, uh, it's either non-existent or it's either gone to that back part where its head is behind it on that sand there. Yeah. And uh, the, uh, the protoceratops' head, like the whole frill is completely gone. Yeah. So um, it, it, this is almost in... Un- unrecognizable compared to the other one so yeah. obviously the other one is would be more popular because it's replication of what they think it theoretically looked like when it was brand new but this again goes back to our issue of the misrepresentation of fossils that the, and, and the reason like this one hit me like so hard was that the replica is stuck in sand too like right why would this you do isn't that? like this, this is like the most non-obvious replica I've ever seen ever. Well, you know what? Maybe I've seen even more obvious non-replica. Like I don't know what I've seen now. Like what the heck? Yeah. It, it goes back to that question that I had that if 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 scientists and paleontologists and and those people are presenting these fossils as replicas are do they understand the implication that most people are not understanding these things as replicas especially when it's not obviously stated like when you go into a museum and as i've now learned you know 70 percent of those bones you're seeing are not real you know just a portion of them are going to be actual bones from fossils and the rest they use just to recreate you know the entire structure of the a dinosaur so do do they do they know that people are being tricked? Are they intending that? I'm sure they're not all intending that, but do they know that people are getting tricked? I think they should be more forthcoming with how they present these fossils 
because, and that's where I would like to talk to someone. I would like to know the process of how they collect them, how they attribute them to the dinosaur, and then the process of getting it to a point where when they're sharing it with the public, because honestly, it's just a lot of times it's misleading. You know, I, I just, just last night, you know, I, I watched a, <laughs> I watched the documentary on the Yeti, the Russian Yeti. And <laughs> oh God! <laughs> at some point they were discussing the, I'm forgetting how it's pronounced now, that ancient orangutan, basically. The, the ancient oh, uh, Gigantopithecus. Gigantopithecus. They were discussing that and talking about how the Yeti would be a descendant of that. And then they go on to explain, show us all these models of Gigantopithecus and all these pictures and drawings and renderings. And, and he's like, yes, we can tell how it looks from this tooth that we have and this piece of the jaw. So we know that its foot must have been at least you know 20 inches long. Like, whoa, hold on a second. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hold on a second. <laughs> You're presenting these things as facts when they're just theories, obviously. This isn't even a theory. This is pure, like... It's almost speculation. Like, speculation. Like, like at, at least if you, like, if you, the the word theory gives them too much credence. Yeah. Like, this isn't theory. This is, like, you're making this up. You're making this up. You're, you're yeah. making this up. You know, what was another example of that that I had completely forgotten about, but I realized late, later was a uh, Megalodon. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, all we have are teeth of Megalodon. That's right. all we have to go off of. And we have so many artists interpretations showing this giant great white shark. Mm-hmm. And that also reminded me, like I was thinking of that. And then that reminded me of, um, do you know the dinosaur Iguanodon? I know the name, but I forgot what it looks like. You remember the Disney movie Dinosaur? Iguanodon. Uh, yes, I do. The main character. He's an Iguanodon. Ah, yes. Okay. So yeah. Iguanodon's teeth look a lot like can you guess what lizard uh iguana <laughs> iguanas <laughs> yes in fact scientists when they first they had first only found the teeth and so they thought they were giant iguanas ah as you can tell they look nothing like iguanas mm-hmm. you would think someone would have learned a lesson or two from that mm-hmm. but they haven't anyways well, that's all I've got. I just I needed to share this with someone because. Right. And again, we reemphasize if there's someone who's an expert on this, who's listening. We want you on the show. <laughs> <laughs> we want to have these discussions. We have so many questions. Yes. So many questions. So many grievances. <laughs> Please. Yeah. It, it won't get violent. You know, <laughs> not first. No, not at first. Not at first. My question for you. It's kind of oh God. kind of a long question. And we'll, as, as we discussed, we'll have to make sure we break down every piece of it so we can get a full picture. So the question has two parts. Actually, three parts. Here it is. Does hardship make a person stronger? If so, under what conditions and at what point is too much hardship? If not, what makes a person stronger? Let's uh, let's define our terms here. Define define hardship. Hardship. Yeah. What's hardship here? Uh, hardship in a person's life. That's that's where it's subjective. Because hard for one person can be easy for another person, so it's it's relative. You know, some people go through a lot in their life. Some people don't. Some people grew up in a good family both parents you know are an only child or you know have a couple other siblings and they all have it relatively easy they go to school they get good jobs they really don't have to struggle to get anywhere in life or you know they don't have any disease or they don't you know their parents don't have a disease they don't die when they're young they don't grow up as orphans you know uh, there's so many different ways you can look at it just so many different ways but that, that's being pretty general, you know, just life hardships. So, you know, what, what do you think of when you think of hardship? Okay, so would like going through 12 years of college and becoming a doctor count as hardship? I would, I would say that that's, you know, that's difficult, but I wouldn't 
consider that a, a hardship in life. But it depends on your situation. If you're doing it because you know you're struggling with your means currently, you're doing that so then you can get a better income or put yourself in a better position in life. But let it's less so much about the work involved and more about the impact it has on you psychologically or emotionally. I think that's what I I want to think hardship. I think more emotional. Okay. Than than physical. Okay. 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 So like a, a, a man who decides to become a monk and go up into the mountains and meditate for 40 years and carry boulders around. That's not what you mean. Like, just like a guy who, like, decides to go and be a monk and self-imposes. Not necessarily. Because if he, if he's at, if he's happy, if he's happy, then is it really hard for him? You know, you may right. struggle with small pieces of that. But, you know, in the big picture, was that a hardship for, for that person? I don't know. It may be. It probably depends on the person. But I'm thinking, you know, a person, there are many people who have demanding jobs, difficult jobs. They go and, I don't know, miners, they go risk their lives every day. Obviously, there's other jobs. That's just one that came to my mind. But they go risk their lives every day, do a hard job, destroy their bodies and come back home and try to live their life. So could that be a hardship for them? Possibly. But theoretically, they chose to get into that line of work. Who knows? Maybe they're forced into it. Uh, again, it just depends. But I think it. I think more on the psychological aspect than the physical. Before I ask the further defined terms, based on your definition of hardship and my definition of stronger, I'm going to say no. So you, you don't think hardship makes a person stronger? No. Here we go. We disagree. <laughs> Here we go. And I think it's going to be because we're going to have different definitions of the word stronger. Yeah, but he, yes, I, I agree with that. But there are going to be whatever your definition of hardship is. If you get through that, you learn from it because you learn from experience. If someone has everything handed to them their entire life, whether they're handed a million dollars and they're rich and everything's ultra easy for them, or even in a relative sense, if they were handed everything, you know, their dad got them a job at their company, didn't really have to work too hard, have a decent home, you know, things like that. People who have to work for things and earn things and go through experiences in life, they learn from that. Some don't recover completely. But typically, in my opinion, when someone goes through more psychologically or emotionally, typically they have more to gain. Yes, I agree with most of what you said. Um, however... Like going back to the example of like a kid whose dad handed him a job versus a kid who had to go find his own job. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the way I'm seeing that is the kid who has to go find his own job ends up with more skills at the end of it because he had to solve a problem, not because he had to deal with emotional distress. So I don't think the emotional distress made him stronger. I think his having to learn how to solve this puzzle of how do I get work is what made him stronger. Right, but don't you think that 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 made him resilient to that sort of situation? So if you can apply those th- those aspects in other other forms, other ways of life, you know, if you struggled to earn your job, you know, you worked hard, you had to learn patience, you had to learn a lot and you know some people become super depressed when they lose their job because they feel like they can't they failed at that and then they're failing at getting another job so you know that's not a medical depression that's just on their circumstances and if they're able to overcome that i feel they will take take from that learn from it and then you know apply elsewhere so i agree with what you're saying that it does involve the the work aspect like earning it but I think they're taking away something emotionally too. I mean, they're definitely learning how to deal with stress. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you throw someone who never had to work anything in a situation where they have to work, but they don't know how to respond. Yeah, but that's just because they're doing it for the first time. Everyone does it for the first time. Everyone had to solve a puzzle for the first time at some point. Yes, but but for everyone, it's at, it's at a different point in life. So some people, it may be earlier. 
So are you, is your argument or is your point that dealing with it earlier is more effective than dealing with, with it later, even if both examples had to deal with it the same amount of times by the end of it? Solving the puzzle once early on in life and solving it again later in life is better than solving it twice later in life? I'd say it's beneficial to, to, to have to deal with it earlier, but that's the thing. It's it's where you don't no one wants hardship and you especially don't want it early in life when you're developing. But some can take from it and learn. Others it, it damages them and it harms them. So I think that's where every person has a different limit. Every person have has a different amount they can deal with. So that's why does it make them stronger? I think technically it does. But like I said, someone else may have to deal with that later in life. So they eventually may get there. They eventually may get to the same place, but they took different paths. My, my, my concern is confounding stronger with number or like more scabbed over. Like, like if I've been la if I were lashed 10 times a day with a whip, by like day 20 maybe it wouldn't hurt as much but that's because i'm full of like scabs and all the nerve endings on my back are gone but like am i stronger i mean i don't feel it as much i can deal with it better i guess but like i feel like stronger might not be the word i'd use so how how does strength training in a gym when you let's say working out you know how strength training works right lifting weights let's say yeah yeah so you're causing micro tears in your muscles and your muscles heal and come back stronger. That's literally how it works. You're, you're causing small bits of damage to your muscles by overstraining it in order to make it come back stronger. So are you technically damaging? Technically, yes, if you want to look at it that way, that you're causing these micro tears to the fibers, but they're coming back stronger. So in the same way, Someone can learn through experience. So it, it may have this impact on them. It may damage them, but they can learn from this experience. Obviously, it depends on the person, depends on the situation. However, I do. I, I did hear a quote that I, a long time ago that I've, that's always stuck with me that I like, that a smart person learns from their own experiences a wise person learns from other people's experiences. Mm-hmm. So that's not to say that you have to go through something to learn about that situation and gain from it. As uh, like the saying, like the saying says, a wise person, someone who has practical knowledge and the the ability to reason and look at a situation and learn how how that applies to them, even though it didn't happen to them, that's that's ultimately the best way to do it. It'd be preferable if you never had to experience some of these hardships. And if you're able to learn qualities and skills and ways of dealing with things just by what other people have done, then that's preferable. So a wise person would look at someone who commits murder and goes to jail and says, wow, they ruined their life. They did something bad. They went to jail and now they're paying for it. I won't make that mistake to have to learn that that fact or to learn that concept, I'll learn from their experience. See what I'm saying? Following that point, sort of, I'd say there's the kid who has his father hand him a job. There's the kid who has no money and is starving and has to go find himself a job. And then there's the kid that has a father, but the father says, I'm here if you need me, but you got to go find yourself a job. I think option three, I think it's the one you learn the most from, though. Again, we haven't ex- we haven't really defined our term stronger here. But if we're assuming by stronger, we mean like best capable. This more, more capable at dealing with things in life. So it may apply to different scenarios, but. I would think that the third option would be the quote unquote strongest option because they're learning the <laughs> skills that they need to learn without the negative side effects of being scabbed over from all the lashes on their back 
day after day. That's true. And and you have a support system and having a support system is always great. So there are outliers for sure. I think, you know, there are, it's, it's like in life, we're all born with different opportunities. You know, it's not that we're destined to fail or destined to succeed, but everyone when they're born has a different set of opportunities. So, you know, someone, someone born into a wealthy family, just, it's just how it is. They're going to have more opportunities than someone who isn't. So I think that's what it comes down to is that if, if you're given the opportunity to learn these things and without the, like you said, the negative effects, that'd be preferable. But in the, while I was referencing outliers, I mean that there are going to be those who are born without opportunities who are going to learn for themselves. It'll be harder for them. Definitely. Like there are kids coming from underprivileged areas who get 4.0 GPAs, go to college, get good degrees, become doctors and do really well in life. But that isn't the norm, you know, because of their opportunities that have been given to them in life. So you can't limit yourself, but we all have the potential to, by this, you know, this question, this way, this phrased, become stronger, I think. But the path that we take might be different for everybody. I think going back to your example of like working out at the gym. The way I see it is, actually, I think it's a really good example for a few different reasons. So I think, like going to the gym, if you go to the gym for the first time and you pick up the heaviest weights you possibly can and you try to lift them, you're going you're gonna to break something. Like, You don't do that. Yeah, you're going to fail. Even if you succeed, starting at the hardest limit, and you try to go back the next day, like you're not going to make it more than three days. Like you're you're going to burn out. You're going to give up. You're going to go home. You're going to play video games, ice yourself up, and you're never going back to the gym, right? I think the opposite is true too. If you go to the gym every day and you just sit there on your phone, like great, you're there, but like nothing's happening, you know? So like the overprivileged kids, quote unquote, you know, uh, would be you know the kids who got got absolutely everything handed to them including things that they would have otherwise needed to learn how to do themselves like finding their own job for example um so like i'm not saying just because a kid is born into a family with a lot of money this is going to be the situation uh i'm saying a kid who's born into a, a family that say has a lot of money and has parents that literally do all the work that the kid should do at some point in their life they're the ones that are like the kids going to the gym and just being on their phone all day. Meanwhile, someone who's so underprivileged that they're just fighting every day to find food, like they're not going to get very far in life either, usually, because I mean, frankly, burnout, like you don't have the energy to go to college when you're working 80 hours a week trying to, you know? Yeah, no, it's true. Absolutely. That's where it comes down. Yeah. The, the opportunities they have and just the situ- their circumstances that they've been born into mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i mean and you're you're gonna be you're gonna end up depressed as well like both both ends of that spectrum i think end up depressed and you know not stronger quote unquote so i think going to the gym doing a regular routine that's not too heavy but not too light is the way you come out strongest like hypothetically if you went through it for the for the heaviest weights you could you could possibly carry and did that every day, yeah, you'd come out stronger, but 99% of the people aren't going to do that and keep it up. 99% of people will burn out because that's, that's, that's pretty crazy. Like you've never been to the gym and you're, you're, you know, you're bench pressing twice your weight every day. I like, yeah. Yeah. So I, I agree with what you're saying that obviously there's a ceiling to that where does hardship make you stronger? I believe yes. But then at a certain point, it's like, there's so much hardship you you can't keep your head above water. So, but like you were saying, if you're having to work 80 hours a week just to put food on the table for your family, there's there's other things inevitably that you're just not going to have the time to think about to to progress at all. So, there's definitely a ceiling. And then there, I think there's a floor to it also that if if you're doing if you're doing nothing 
then you're just not going to get anything out of it. So that's those are the, those are the two extremes. So I agree with you that somewhere in the middle is going to be ideal that you have to learn for yourself how to do things in life, but it doesn't hurt to have a support system, to have someone there to help you out when you need it, to give you advice or to kind of point the way a guide. So I agree that the middle ground is ideal. So I think a person that hardship technically does make a person stronger, but I think we've established that there's a limit to that. Yeah. And like, Varying away from the gym example, I think certain kinds of hardships apply to this more than others. For sure. Like losing your parents when you're three years old. Like, yeah, that's not one of the kinds of hardships that make me think of you being a stronger person. Like, right. It's just, like, OK, maybe you can deal with loss better. But is it just because you're now apathetic to death? Like, I don't know. Like, I mean, I, I you know, that's just one of many possible negative reactions that could happen with a kid who loses his parents like i was trying to say hardships relative so for one person you know getting a c in a class might be hardship just passing you know that was that was something i had a hard time understanding when i was in school because i wouldn't i wouldn't say that school was easy for me but i always i always found a way to get my A's. You know, I left high school with a 4.0. I left college with a 4.0. So it wasn't easy at times. I was I was given the the tools to be able to succeed. So I'm I'm not going to act like, you know, I'm one of those kids who had their parents not supporting them and you know, had these all these other problems in their life to worry about. I was fortunate to be able to kind of put my focus on school. But there were other people who also had this relatively same opportunities, you know, grew up in the same area, had went to the same high school, same teachers, you know, stuff like that. And they just struggled just to, just to get by, just to get that C. And they would always complain to me and say, Oh, it's so, it's so easy for you to, to, to get your A. And I would always think that that's not the case because I, I feel I did put in the work. I did, you know, stay up at night studying to get my A, but that wasn't, I guess, technically as hard for me as it was for them. So I had to learn that hardship is relative. So what may be easy for, for technically easy for one person and won't be the same for someone else. So some of these kids, no matter how much they studied, they just couldn't, couldn't pass or they just couldn't do it. So it's relative. So for them to to get their diploma, maybe was a big deal to them. It was a big accomplishment. So whereas for me, obviously, it was just, you know, just getting by. <laughs> it was just, you know, the kind of the bare minimum. But for everyone's different. My uh, my goal was to get a C in the class. Really? I feel like you, I feel like you were, I always thought you were one of the smart kids. But, you know, I've learned otherwise. My goal was to not do an inch of work more than was necessary to get myself a C in the class. So in high school, homework was 10% of our grade. For every class? Yeah. That meant no homework, no need to do homework, no homework, and I still get a B. And then from there, I just needed to ace my tests. Mm-hmm. And usually that worked. Sometimes it didn't. But, uh, you know, that kept me in the C range. I never had to worry. Um, Of course, no one explained to me how, like, GPAs worked or anything like that <laughs> and how that might be useful later in life. Yeah. I was just like, I passed a glass and I did no work. Woo! You know, I was always, I was um, always doing doing the quote unquote bare minimum to get A's. <laughs> Obviously, that's not the bare minimum in any sense. But, uh, <laughs> but I would, I would go into a test and take the test, and I, I've always been able to do this. That I know, I know what I know, and I know what I don't know. And ninety nine percent of the time, I could guess my grade within like. Within two points, I would always know what my grade's going to be. So I would always know if I did well or if I did poorly every single time. There's typically, mm-hmm. obviously, there was guess. That's why, I, so I'd have to factor in if it was multiple choice, me just guessing. But I, t- I always know what I do now. I wasn't, I wasn't one of those kids who left the test and be like, man, I have no idea what I got on that. Like, if you know what you know, then you know what you got. I was so good at 
guessing and multiple choice tests. I was too. Being a good test taker helps a lot. Like, like I, I just read the question. I'd be like, I don't know what this is. And then I'd read the answers and be like, this feels right. And I could do that. In fact, there was one, I remember there was one math test that didn't really matter for some reason. I forget what the numbers reason was behind it. I like, I forget there was a, it was a math test, but it wasn't going to affect our grade very much. And so I decided instead of working hard to try to figure out the answer to all these questions, let me just go ahead and guess on them all. But I wasn't just like Christmas ring. I was I was reading the question and I was reading the answers, but I wasn't going to do any of the work to f- try to figure out the answer. I was just going to guess. And I got a C on the test. And I was like, OK, well, that took me five minutes. It would have taken me 30 minutes if I would have put in the amount of work that it's supposed to take. You know, Being good at educated guesses is, is a good skill to have uh, definitely throughout school because there were smart kids who were horrible test takers. They would panic or they wouldn't know how to uh, how to listen to their gut. Right. How, how just to, to make that. Yeah, that gut, that gut choice, because I immediately when I looked at any multiple choice, I obviously could pick out the two that were not right. I could always narrow it down to the, the two that were closest to being correct. And then, you know, there's a little bit of chance involved, but I felt it was pretty good. <laughs> so what do you think, Levi? Does, by these definitions, are you a strong person? I don't know. Strong is relative. <laughs> you can't pull this strong as relative crap on us, no. To some people, I may be strong, but to others, I may be weak. You know? What about to you? Levi, to you, the only one that matters in this equation. I feel I'm pretty good at handling things, but I don't know. You tell me. Do I seem like a strong person? It's to you, Levi. Uh, uh, I don't know. I, I I think I am. I think I'm pretty good at handling things. Rate your strength from one to ten. Oh my gosh, what are you giving me <laughs> these hard, <laughs> hard declarative statements? <laughs> I don't know. I really don't. Two. Two? <laughs> okay, yeah, I'm not a two. I'm higher than that, that's for sure. I'm somewhere in the middle, maybe five or six. Five or six? Yeah. You sell yourself short. Or you have, or you have high standards. Or both. I mean, I don't know. Like... You know, in a relative sense, things are pretty good for me. So, like, you know, life's not perfect, but... There's people starving in Africa, so I've got to finish my food. <laughs> Sorry, that's what it sounded like. <laughs> oh, you're one... Of the, that's a good topic. You're one of those people who hates that that line of reasoning. Every time yeah, someone I says do. that to you, you're like, well, then give this food to them. <laughs> you're a monster is what you are. Just because... Someone broke all their bones in the bed, hospital bed next to you. Does not mean your arm is not still broken. <laughs> <laughs> this, that's, this is true. That's true. But, you know, I like, I like looking at things in perspective. I, I, I think having yes. perspective is good. So it's, right. easy, Proper perspective. it's easy to sit around and complain. I'm not saying, so I'm not saying that you shouldn't not feel pain if you broke your arm. But in all things, you're going to be fine. So mm-hmm. you're going to be fine. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's not horrible, you'll heal from it and be back to normal. It's in pretty relatively mm-hmm. short amount of time. So that guy who's next to you does have it worse than you. <laughs> <laughs> and I do have it better than a lot of kids in the world. So, you know, so I, I finished my food. I do. I'm like, you know what? <laughs> they want me to have these calories. Who's they? They're out there. They're all they're out there. Who's out there? Who are you talking? Who who wants you to have those calories? Those hungry kids. They don't want you to have those calories. They want to have those calories. They they'd rather I have it than it get wasted. If those are the only two options, or unless they're spiteful, they may be spiteful. They may they may say if I can't have it, no one can have it. Who knows? But yeah, I haven't asked them. The way I see it in this specific case, if you're eating more than your body is asking you to eat. You've already wasted that food. Well, that's where portion control is important. Exactly. I, I exactly. agree with that. But like, Chili's giving me a huge plate of food. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not going to finish this. Because if I do, like, 
why am I going to sacrifice my health for people I can't help? This, this is uh, this is only an American issue. <laughs> Honestly, no, no one but Americans <laughs> deals with this. Because no one has portions like us that we grab so much that we literally cannot finish what we got. We try, but we literally can't finish. We're like, oh my god, I've already eaten 30 ounces of the steak. I can't have any more. <laughs> I will say, I will say in Colombia, it's similar. It's similar, not so much that they'll give you one huge platter of food, but rather they give you like soup. So they'll give you more than one portion, more than one um, plate of food. So like they'll give you a soup first and you've got to eat that soup and then they'll give you your plate and then they'll give you fruit courses. That's it. Yeah. You get multiple courses. So it's not like here where they give you one huge plate of food, but rather like, okay, the amount they gave you for dinner was like reasonable, but then they gave you soup before that and they're giving you fruit now. Well, isn't that, that thing in a large part of the world that it's a it's, thing in France, right? I, I, I thought that was a thing in a lot of places outside of America, America, obviously you go to a restaurant, it's a little different, but at home as, as a whole, I think Americans just eat their salad along with their meal. If they're having a salad or, you know, they don't, they don't separate it. They don't have a plate of a salad then go, okay, time for our real meal. We just eat it all together. You know, I think, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think you're right. Um, Taiwan was the opposite though. I was starving the entire really? trip. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they kept giving me this little like these little bowls of food. It's like I'm a big American. I need more food. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's fine. Uh, they probably I, I'd probably go to Taiwan. And they're like, oh, you don't need to eat for two months. You're fine. <laughs> <laughs> They all want you to be as thin as they are. Man. Yeah, I'm like, uh, doesn't this mean I'm wealthy if I if if I if I eat more than you guys? Like, isn't this a good thing? <laughs> I thought that was a good thing in this culture. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot what culture. Um, that, that's just is that just Hispanic culture? Or, I thought thought that was typically a thing in like most cultures that the wealthy can consume more. I don't know. <laughs> I feel like that was a thing in like medieval culture. <laughs> uh, yeah. I don't know about now. <laughs> true. True. Uh, you know, who knows with these communist countries? <laughs> <laughs> this episode is brought to you by people just like you. Patreon is the place to go if you want to support our podcast, if you want to support what we do. Um, as you probably know, we don't do this full time. We have jobs, we have lives, etc., etc. But anything you guys can help us with on Patreon is a little bit more time that we can devote to this. Um, so yeah, if you guys enjoyed the show, feel free to check us out on Patreon. Thanks again, guys. Speaking of communist countries, uh, yes, yes, of all the communist countries out there, yes. which one? Do you want to visit the most? Nazi Germany. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, I'm pretty ignorant, so I probably don't even know all the communist countries. I don't know all of them either. The ones that I do know are Cuba, China, Vietnam. China, you know, I, I do. North Korea. <laughs> I, okay, I wouldn't want to, I would not want to visit North Korea. I could, that's an easy, no. Cuba, I could see why someone would want to go there, but I don't. I have no interest in going there. Actually, I think I don't want to go there so much because I see other people wanting to go there and talking about how great it is. And I'm like, you really don't get what's going on, do you? You're part of the problem. <laughs> I think any person who lives there, or 99% of them, would want to switch places with you. So... I don't know. It's very, it's, it's what, what's, I'll tell you what's weird. What's weird is when, you know, there are second or, I don't know, what's that called? Like the first generation after the ones who came over here. So second gen generation immigrants, I guess that would be called, of, of those from Cuba. You know, so there's kids who have grown up now 
and they've grown up here in America. Their parents are from Cuba. And they'll sit around and talk about how great Cuba is. And I'm like, why do you think your parents left if it was so great? Legitimately. I really, I really. Here's the thing, though. I've talked to a lot of Cubans and, and I've gotten like a split response of like half of them being like Cuba is the worst place ever. If I would have stayed there, I would have died. Uh, and then another half that's like, you know what? Cuba isn't as bad as I thought it was. <laughs> and so I suspect that the second generation Cuban immigrants that talk like that have parents that are saying they're like the, re- the ones who regret leaving. Basically that, that like, oh, Cuba wasn't as bad as, uh, and you know what? I feel like when they're, what they're really saying when they say that is America isn't as great as I expected it to be, or isn't as different as I expected it to be. Well, they talk about, they talk, I've heard the argument or not the argument, but just one of the reasons being like, well, look at the literacy rate. It's almost a hundred percent in Cuba. I'm like, that's like China saying that they have zero coronavirus victims. <laughs> take that with a grain of salt please you know let's let's really think you can't trust any government with their with their data especially a commun- especially one of these governments well why are we actually listening to the figures they give us i think if you just go there <laughs> i don't know you may get the people who are just blind to what they're obviously a lot of them are going to be blind to what is going on just because they've lived in that bubble you know, you go to China, mm-hmm. they don't know any better. They don't really complain. Well, I mean, obviously, some do, but I'm saying like, as, as a whole, a good portion of them might necessarily take issue just because they don't know any better. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying that. <laughs> I, I, I will say I will say that, like, when it comes to, like, information dispersal, Cuba's a lot better mm-hmm. than China. Um, in fact, that was part of the reason why there was so much migration to the States during that time because of all the... American TV that got to Cuba showing Hollywood and everyone in big fancy cars and stuff like that, you know? But yeah, so the point was, I expect people in China to be in more of a bubble than people in Cuba. Because of their information intake? Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. That's my expectation. In fact, like, I would like to visit Cuba at some point, and it's mostly... To be able to see for myself what the heck is actually going on over there. Because I've heard too many different contrary stories. Tell me how it goes. I don't want to go. Yeah, if I ever get there. Tickets are expensive. Like Every time I'm like, oh, it'd be fun to go to Cuba. I look at the price of tickets. I'm like, never mind. I'm going to Taiwan. (laughs) Anytime I think about going to these places, I'm like, knowing me, the second I get there, there's going to be a lockdown. Uh, They're going to be like, all right. No more, no more travel. <laughs> You're stuck. Uh, I'll just be the, the one American, like my mugshot, be on the TV, like <laughs> local <laughs> Floridian stuck in Cuba. <laughs> Florida yeah, man, Florida man gets gets stuck in Cuba. And they're like, oh, those Floridians back at it. They're 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 antics. You're gonna have to uh, take a raft back to Florida. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to visit China just for the history. Uh, just 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 yeah. to see the. The traditional things, the culture, the really the old stuff. I, I don't really, I couldn't care any less about the, the new stuff. But Hong Kong, I really have no interest in seeing that. Really just, I like to go to Beijing and see a couple things there. And that's about it. So that's the only reason why I would choose China. But yeah, that's, I think that would be my choice of country, China. I've heard really nice things about Vietnam. Um I know a lot of friends that went and visited and really, 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 really liked Vietnam. And so because of that, like before I had heard that Vietnam wasn't even like in my radar of places to even like not even like a place I wouldn't want to visit. It's just like a place I would have never thought. Yeah, I've I've never even thought about Vietnam. Yeah. But like now it is Um, like if I were ever in Asia again and tickets were cheap, I'd probably go and visit. Mm hmm. Uh, but I don't know much about Vietnam. I know where it is. <laughs> I know <laughs> we were at war with them once. <laughs> if the map is labeled, I can point it out. Yeah. If the map is not labeled, I'm going to have a lot harder yeah. time figuring out which one yeah. it is. 
But that that's how my brain treats all of the Southeast Asian countries. So. Yeah. Like, they're all in the same spot, and you just look was, there, and then you look yeah. for the name. I'm not very good at maps in general. That was... That was in fourth grade we had our, our map test we had a we had to draw an out we had to draw <laughs> yes. the we had to draw the u.s draw the general outlines of all the states name the states and then name the capitals and put the relative location of all the capitals Ooh, yeah. that's way harder than yeah we I had to put to the locations of the capitals so it has wow. had to be with like you know obviously within like a centimeter or not a centimeter like it's pretty small so maybe a few millimeters uh-huh so, uh-huh but yeah that was difficult yeah i did not get enough teaching when it came to american oh geography. we didn't get like, teaching i didn't say that we just had to memorize it <laughs> <laughs> literally they were just like here's a map learn it that, that that was literally it i just had to take snapshots of it my my brain just at home be drawing them i said i was drawing them like the whole night before trying to get it down and i i, I got an a on it so wow that's impressive. Yeah. Well, you know me. <laughs> Literally all of my geography knowledge comes from my father drilling it into oh, my no. head while complaining about the uh, fact that American schooling doesn't teach geography. So, well, how much how much geography do you really need to know? This how much do you really need to know? Like how much do you need to know to like get by in the day-to-day life? Like not a ton, but when you talk to someone from a different country and you actually know where that country is. That's true. It well, really I, avoids see, you from I... saying stupid stuff like, oh, you're from Paris. <laughs> wow. I didn't know you were Italian. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> okay. Yeah, that would yes. be bad. This, you don't want to do well, that. Well, this falls into the realm of a coming topic that we'll talk about. Is it good to have... A, a lot of general knowledge or be an expert in one thing, but not have much knowledge in others. So I won't really talk about that too much because I think that's a good discussion we'll have in the future. But th- I think that's a good point to be brought up that it's good to be able to have those conversations and understand where they're coming from. So that's, that's kind of that general knowledge. You don't have to be an expert, but it's good. It's good to kind of get, okay, France is in this location. Generally, you don't have to point out on a map. You just have to understand where they're generally coming from. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it makes people feel good too when you can be like i mean how many situations are you like next to a map when you meet a foreign person not many but the situations that have come up and you can be like oh that's right over here like especially if they're from a country that's not like internationally renowned mm-hmm. for any particular reasons like it, it makes people feel good like oh people know i exist you know mm-hmm. i don't know it's like was it worth the time like it was either that or I would have been like I don't know staring at bugs outside. <laughs> like <laughs> I, one of my one of the classes that has really I would say stuck with me years you know after high school was freshman year I took an AP class you know what an AP class is a college class mm-hmm. you take in high school and it was AP Human Geography so. It's yeah, it's a weird, weird topic because doesn't geography not involve humans? And then if it were about humans, is it really just a different class, like studying cultures or? But they kind of grouped it into one, so you learned a general history of the world, basically. So I wouldn't call it like international history, but you learn the movement of people over time, if that makes sense. So you kind of learn like, okay, people started out here. They lived in this relative way. And then as time went on, okay, they developed this general amount of technology and spread to this area, have this much growth. Then they move over here, they industrialize, you know. So the general patterns of humanity, basically. That's the best way to describe it. Mm-hmm. It was an interesting class. That's interesting. Yeah. So it's... Huh. I... In looking back, I really despise the teacher because she put a lot of her own twist on things, so that didn't help. But it was, were they accurate twists? No. You know, uh-huh. I I remember having a discussion with her, and so you know we will make it a point not to really get into like religion in this podcast. But I I remember this is just a, a fact though about history. If you want to just look at it, just 
you know, plain and simple. Like I remember her saying, talk about the Israelites. Okay. You know, whether you believe in the Bible or not, the Israelites existed, you know? So she, I remember her saying, well, no one knows why the Israelites took on the name Israel, Israelites. She's like, that just happened out of nowhere. Why did the, the Jews just take on that name? And the, I remember being like, well, if we're just talking about history, you know, it was because, oh, now I'm going to forget his name, but it wasn't it, uh, Jacob. Jacob got renamed to Israel. Yeah. Correct. Jacob was renamed yeah. to Israel and his people were the Israelites. So not that much to it, but that's why. She yeah. was like, well, that, that, their forefather's name was Israel. Yeah. And some like they became the Israelites and where they lived was Israel. And he, they took on the name of their patriarch at the time. So mm-hmm. she was like, oh, that's that's not true. And I was like, well, it's more it's it's better than what you have to offer. <laughs> you said they just took on the name <laughs> for no reason. <laughs> and, I, and I'm saying that their patriarch had that name. And that's why they were called Israelites, the father of Israel, you know. But she, she, she was like, no, that's incorrect. She really called me out on being incorrect about that. And I'm like, all right, I see how it is. That's interesting. So that, that's when I stopped offering any, anything in that class. I just stopped talking. Aw, poor little Levi. Oh, I, knew I, I knew I was right, but she was like, nope. <laughs> so sixth grade, it's like bring your parents to school day. Mm-hmm. What do they call that? Open house? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Open, Open house. house. Yeah. And so I had the pleasure of bringing my dad pleasure. to open house. I'd be scared of going anywhere with your dad, <laughs> especially if me and my teachers. <laughs> now, for, for the people of the podcast, for the people of this show, my father is not American. He's Colombian. And... In most non-English speaking countries, they teach that there's five continents. In fact, that's why there's five circles in the Olympic uh, symbol because for five continents. Mm-hmm. It's only really in English speaking countries where they teach that there's seven continents. What are the extra two? <laughs> uh, <laughs> see, okay, that changed when I was in elementary school to when I was in middle school. All right, there's a slight tangent, so. We're going to go into it anyways. In elementary school, all right, I was taught North America, Central America, South America, Europe, Asia, Australia. I didn't know what Oceania is. Australia and Antarctica. So Africa was not a continent. I'm sorry. <laughs> Take out Antarctica and put in Africa. They, didn't, they so did they not didn't, talk about They didn't Antarctica. call Antarctica a continent? They didn't call Antarctica Are you sure that that... I am so sure because sixth grade comes around and they're like North America, South America, Antarctica, yada, yada, yada. And I'm like, um, excuse me, uh, Mexico and down to Panama is a separate continent. It's called Central America. I learned this. I learned this. And when, when, when I, I, I believe you, but. I almost want to believe that just someone believed that and they taught you that, but it wasn't I'm, actually wasn't in textbooks. Maybe that might there, be because it. there's no way. Very well how did I, you, in the relative sense, then I would have learned that too. Yeah, you would have. And you know what? I I found other people who who have agreed with me that they were taught this at some point too. That were in my age range at at school. At I don't school? remember if they were in my school or oh. not. I don't remember. That's interesting. Anyways, okay. this is all besides, besides the, point. the point. Your father's Colombian, not American. My father's Colombian. He was taught there's five continents. Mm-hmm. We are in America. And like the Brits and like the Australians, we are taught that there's seven continents. Mm-hmm. So we get into my sixth grade geography class. Teacher goes through the spiel. Oh, no. Everyone finishes. Here's our curriculum every, is this know, year. <laughs> yeah. Yada, yada, yada. Like, uh, Everyone's walking me. out. <laughs> Thankfully, no. Thankfully, no. <laughs> Everyone was walking out, except for us. We were walking towards the teacher. Mm-hmm. And he was like, Miss, <laughs> how many continents are you going to teach my son that there oh. are? She's going to say, seven, of course. 
and then he's gonna was like no <laughs> there are five continents you know how i know look at the symbol for the olympics five circles you know how else i know Every other country in the world teaches that there's five continents, why, except for why America. Why would Antarctica not be considered a continent? It's established that it's not an ice mass. Can we agree on that? It is not an ice mass. It's yes. land. We can agree on that. However, it is not one solid piece of land either. Okay, but neither, it's a neither bunch is of small Oceania islands. and Australia. But that's Yeah, but at least Australia is big. Like, Australia is way bigger than any of the islands in Antarctica. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Antarctica. Look up a size comparison. No, uh, but look up a size comparison with a map without the ice on it. Because all of our maps show it with the ice. So, like, map of Antarctica without ice, I guess. Okay. I'm looking at it. Okay. It's, it's uh, still large. It's like Australia. Either way, this is all besides the point. I don't disagree that Antarctica should be a continent. That here. Sounds like you are. Uh, <laughs> okay, regardless, your your father, your father. So your father brings this up. He's like, "No, there's five. Yeah, what, how how does just, how did the teacher respond? Of course, she placates him. It's like, yeah, I know that some country. Yeah, uh, I don't think she said some. I think she said that other countries uh, teach that there's five. But I have to go with the curriculum. Yada 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 yada. Mm-hmm. Boring stuff from there on out. The stressful part was the fact that I'm this little sixth grader kid who is new to this middle school and I am cowering in the corner as my father picks a personal argument with someone who has no say on whether the entire English culture decides that there's Mm -hmm. five or seven continents. Right. Anyways. I remember in fourth grade, uh, I had a teacher that I didn't care for. Uh, she just, I, she, she came across as really mean to me. So like she was never mean particularly personally to me, but she was just kind of mean to the class. So I didn't really like her and I would complain about it at home. Of course, as you do, but of course my younger brother had an issue when he was younger, where he would sometimes say things to people uh, this is really, he obviously doesn't do this anymore now he's older, but when he was really young, he'd have an issue where he wasn't able to gauge secrets very well. So be able to oh, gauge God. what you should say and what you shouldn't say. You know, all kids kind of have that issue for him. It was just, he learned that a little bit older, but I was in fourth grade. I remember talking about this teacher, how I didn't like her. And there was a, a day where, you know, my parents came to, to school to see something. I forgot exactly why they came to school. But Logan, my younger brother, came along and <laughs> oh, no. he told he told my teacher that I talk about her and how she's really mean and says all this stuff. He tells her like a lot. And I remember she came up to me afterwards and she was like, oh, so I heard uh, your brother told me some of the stuff that you've said. And I was like, OK. And she was just like, well, you know, I'm sorry if I've ever come across as me. I was just like okay <laughs> I, I i didn't i you know i'm in fourth grade so i don't really know how to handle this situation so i was just like okay i just walked away but i remember just when i got <laughs> you, home you, i was so angry I, I can't my parents were so embarrassed my parents <laughs> i can't even i can't even put into words like the embarrassment but you know could have been worse i suppose rip rip <laughs> It sounds like you hadn't gone through enough hardship yet to learn how to uh, how to deal with embarrassment. Yes. <sighs> yeah. I sent you two pictures, by the way, on WhatsApp. And I'd say that they're comparable in size based on the two pictures I sent. So, yeah, they're about the same size. Mm-hmm. Right? Just the land? Like, if you smushed all the islands together into one yeah. landmass, I'd say it's the same size as Australia. Yeah. More or less. Anyways, I I think I think the reason other countries don't consider it is because it's uninhabited. I think that somehow plays into their definitions. That's my guess. You know, and when we look at globes, we get a sometimes well, obviously on the globe is different. So, 
you have to look at actual two scale comparisons of land masses because if you took Alaska, yeah, like I'm sure you know this, that if you took Alaska mm-hmm. and put it on the US, it takes up like a quarter to a third of the US. It's 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 humongous. And but when we look at it on a map over in the corner, we're like, oh, Alaska's small. It's like Texas or, you know, but it's it's massive, massive. Or like the opposite being true with like Greenland looks huge when it's right. placed on a on a flat map. But in reality, it, it's fairly like it's I mean, it's not tiny, but it's fairly small, especially compared to what people might think it is. So that all goes back to perception. That's that. I think that's what we've all discussed today's perception so across the world they might perceive that there's five continents it's fine that they're wrong but that's how they perceive it <laughs> you know and then people who live in some of these these countries outside of america like you know in communist communist cuba or communist china they might think that they have it really good well that's that's their perception and hardship well is it a hardship for that person Maybe, but it might be easy for someone else. It's perception. So I think perception is the cheese of our discussion today. 